Well, good morning, Wilshire. We are so glad that you're with us. Uh, it is great to be here. I cannot tell by the weather what month it is, however. This, I've grown up in Oklahoma, this feels like first week or two of October to me. This is so strange. But I am grateful that we have a church. And I'm grateful that you came to give me encouragement today. Uh, I got a question for you. Have you ever really badly let somebody down? I got another question for you. Has anybody ever really badly let you down? That probably hits everybody in this room, one side or the other, most of us both. And we're doing this series, Jeremy and I, on, on people who are hard to love in the Bible, because we're in a, a time when we're running up against sometimes people that are hard to love. Our nation is a bit polarized politically and socially. And that adds to the mix, but even if that weren't true, we just, the normal course of living causes us to run into people and to have to deal with people and, and make decisions about people that are just hard to love. And one of the hardest decisions you'll have to make has to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. When somebody's really let you down, when do you give them a second chance? We forgive, because Jesus forgave us, God forgave us. But when do you give them a second chance? That's not so clear. That's not always so easy to figure out. It requires prayer, and if you fast, fasting sometimes to make that decision. And we're going to talk about that today using this little story that's revealed to us in a variety of places throughout Scripture, the story of John Mark. And we read the first bit of it for our Scripture reading this morning. John Mark first gets mentioned uh, the chapter before. He kind of gets picked up by Paul and Barnabas when they've run down to Jerusalem to deliver the first goods from Antioch to the Jerusalem saints to kind of little famine relief. And John Mark goes back with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. And so he becomes part of their entourage when they are sent out by the church in Antioch on this mission trip. God says, I want missionaries and, I, and, and, and we're going to pick missionaries and, and Paul and Barnabas are chosen and sent out. So the story starts. They go on, they begin their journey, and verse 13 of Acts 13 tells us the sad, the sad, disappointing moment in John Mark's life. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John, however, left them and return to Jerusalem. That's John Mark. 
That's this person that we're talking about. Kind of one line. They picked him up in Jerusalem. They took him on the journey. And really before much of anything has happened on the first missionary journey, he bails and he heads back home to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know a lot about John Mark. Uh, you know, one of the facts that we know about him is that he was from a wealthy family. He would, he would have been a, what we today would call a rich kid. Uh, his mom owned the house that the church met in in Acts chapter 12. Peter, when he gets miraculously released from Herod's prison, uh, he doesn't know where to go exactly, but he knows the church will probably be meeting uh, at this house, and so he goes there, and it's specifically identified as owned by John Mark's mother. And there's a whole drama on the street when the maid thinks that Peter's a ghost, or, or you know, other people think it's a ghost. So John Mark was a rich kid, but that doesn't really explain why he turned back. Paul was a rich kid. Barnabas was definitely a rich kid. I don't really think it was wealth that made the difference here. I, we don't know. Whatever it is, it really let Paul and Barnabas down. They brought John Mark for a reason, and he bailed. And it was, it was the cause of a really tragic event, which is recorded for us, in Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And if you've got the study sheet, you can see it, but even if you don't, you can turn there. Acts 15, verse 36 says, sometime later, after the first missionary journey, getting ready for the second, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commending, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The betrayal or the failure of John Mark was enough to split up one of the most successful missionary teams ever. The first big missionary team sent out by the Antioch church. Paul says, I am not trusting him again. No second chance for John Mark. Barnabas says, and maybe this is influenced by the fact that John Mark was his nephew, but Barnabas says, yeah, I'm going to take him. I think we should give him, a, give him a second chance, Paul. And it becomes a rift between these two great leaders in the church who had labored to build up that Antioch church and then had labored to plant these churches all over Asia Minor. They split. That's a tragic moment. That's a tragic moment. Who made the right choice? I'm telling you, we're always called to forgive, but when do you give somebody a second chance? Paul decided he would not give John Mark a second chance to let him down. 
It was hard for Paul to love John Mark because John Mark had let him down so badly. Barnabas, on the other hand, says, I'm going to give him a try. And they go and they begin mission work in Cyprus. Got to remember when we read the book of Acts that there was mission work going on all over. There was evangelism going on all over. Luke can't write, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica for us, so he focuses in on a few characters. He mostly talks to us about Peter and the apostles in the early part, and then he talks to us about Paul. But there were other mission trips happening, and Barnabas and John Mark are out there doing mission work in Cyprus and apparently successfully. The reason I say apparently, it looks like, it looks like John Mark worked so hard and so well that he redeemed himself in the eyes of Paul. If you've got your Bibles, you could turn over to Philemon, the little book of Philemon, the one chapter book of Philemon. Look down in verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greeting. And so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Something happened. At this point, Paul says, John Mark, he's one of my co-workers. My favorite passage about John Mark is the one that occurs in the very last letter that Paul wrote. 2 Timothy, Paul is actually in prison, we think, when he writes 2 Timothy. I mean, literally behind bars. Sometimes you'd be kept in house arrest, and the first imprisonment of Paul was like that. But, but now he's in prison. He's chained. And he's writing what he himself thinks is his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And it concludes, part of the conclusion is this, do your best, writing to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is here with me. And then he says this, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Who did Paul want to see? I mean, he goes on. He has said, this is the end for me. I know that I'm about to be offered as as a sacrifice. I'm about to lose my life in front of Nero. Who does he want to see? He wants to see Timothy, his son in the faith. And he wants to see Mark one last time. That's a second chance that was richly rewarded. Probably for you and me, though, there's an even better passage about John Mark in terms of impact on Christianity. John Mark worked hard and he earned the trust and respect of Paul, but it's the passage about John Mark in 1 Peter that probably should get our attention. John Mark became a key helper to Peter. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, if you, if you can turn to it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 
to 14. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, that's Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So John Mark not only becomes a key helper for the mission works of Paul, but he becomes a crucial helper for Peter as Peter is preaching in the great city of Rome. Why is that a huge deal for the history of Christianity? Kids, I have a question for you specifically in the audience today. Who thinks they can name the four Gospels? Isaac, can you name the four Gospels? Are you raising your hand? Matthew, Mark, and John. There's one other. Need one more. Oh, he said Luke. Very good. Thank you. That second one. Mark. Mark, by the early comments of second century Christians, is written by this guy, John Mark. Nobody signed the Gospel of Mark, so it doesn't have a signature. But by the early tradition, the reason we call it the Gospel of Mark is second and third century Christians said, so Peter went to Rome and he preached, you know, in all the places that would hear him. And John Mark was with him and was kind of taking notes, at least mentally. And the gospel we call the gospel of Mark is what Mark writes down of the preaching of Peter. It's the story that Mark tells based on what he heard Peter talk and say about Jesus. How big a deal, how big a hole would it leave in your Bible if John Mark hadn't been given a second chance by Barnabas. So I like this story. I am not going to be able to stand up here and tell you when it's the right time to give somebody a second chance. God's already told us, if somebody asks for forgiveness, you forgive them. But there are times when you have to also protect yourself but I'm just going to say to you that God is the God who gives second chances. And, and I want you, with prayer and fasting, to consider when someone might be helped by, giving, by being given a second chance. I have a lot of second chance stories in my life. Most of them are really, really embarrassing, so I'm not going to tell you those. I have a pretty embarrassing one I'm going to tell you, and it involves Greg Goodpasture. We were at a church work day. We were working on somebody's roof, and uh, he brought a big tractor, front loader. And we all wanted to drive it. Don't deny that you did. We all did. <laughs> and he let me drive it. I was so excited. So, you know, you kind of feel like the Hulk when you're driving one. I'd never driven one before. 
You just lift. It's so great. It's, and I was feeling very frisky because I was doing it pretty well. I was taking stuff over and dumping it in the dumpster. And I tipped that thing in front of everybody. Just boom. And I crawled down out of it in shame. And Greg crawled up into it and he used the arm and did some other things. And he jacked it back up and got it on its feet. And then, this is amazing, and probably foolish, Greg. But Greg said, go ahead. And he let me get back in the cab of that thing and drive it again. There have been times in your life you've needed second chances. There have been times in your life you've been put in the position of trying to know whether or not you can give somebody else a second chance. And I'm not saying that there's an easy formula to figure out those issues, but I will say this. This is one of the areas where Jesus got in the most trouble, probably, with the people who were sort of running the day-to-day Jewish religion in his culture. The famous episode, you know, in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is sitting down at a meal like he always is, and everybody's there. Sinners are there, prostitutes are there, tax collectors are there, and the religious leaders are off to the side, gossiping and griping. Look at this guy. He claims to be holy, and look at who he associates with. And and Jesus tells three of our most precious parables in response to that issue, because the Pharisees' attitude and the Teachers of the law, generally, their attitude, I mean, they had a way for you to get a second chance. They had a pathway. But part of, I think, Jesus' gripe about what they had set up was, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees had gotten so concerned that you follow all the steps to allow you to get to the place where you might be given a second chance. And the and the pathway was pretty onerous and the Pharisees seemed to be more concerned that you tick off all the correct doctrinal boxes on that path of being restored back into good graces than they were about the people and for Jesus we talked about this last week when we discussed the Pharisees for Jesus Everything about the law is aimed at redeeming people and changing people. And so he says, I'm telling you, if you have a shepherd who's got 99 out of 100 sheep, that shepherd is not a satisfied shepherd. He's going to cross mountains and valleys and streams and go look for that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he's way happier. He's elated in a way that the 99 that just are sitting there buying in the sheep pen don't make him because he saved something that was otherwise lost. He says, God (laughs) wants lost people to be saved. Tells a story about a woman. She's got 10 coins. She loses one. She doesn't say, ah, nine's good enough. She scours her house. She turns things upside down. She moves everything, lights all the lights. Tells she find, and she's more excited to find that one. 
than the nine that were never lost in the first place. It's just a natural reaction. And Jesus says, you understand that, and that's the way God feels when someone who's been on the outside is finally brought into the inside. And then the best story he tells is the story of the prodigal son. And there's this boy that's worthless. Prodigal means wasteful. And this boy is wasteful. He, he essentially says to his dad, I can't wait for you to die to get my inheritance. So just sell the land that would come to me when you die and give me the money now. I'm heading to Wall Street. I'm going to make so much money. It's going to make your head spin, old man really super disrespectful and and we know how the story is going to turn out for him before it even starts and it does he has no character and a lot of money that's not a good combination and he's just wasting 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 he ends up just starving to death working for a gentile feeding pigs which is the worst humiliation you can imagine for a jewish boy And in his humiliation and hunger, I mean, he doesn't have a great moral change at any point in the story that we can see. In his humiliation and hunger, he he comes back to his home and says, Dad, could I just be reduced to the level of a servant? He has a speech prepared, he's going to say. And the amazing thing happens is that his dad runs through the village streets. I I just want you to get that picture. I'm 65 now, or almost 65. I don't run. That is no longer in my job description. I do not run. I saunter with majesty. You know? And I suspect that that was the normal gate for this father, but his son comes back and he runs. And he embraces him in front of the whole village. And he puts the cloak on him and he puts the family signet ring, which was a legally binding, it's kind of like giving him the credit card. And he gives orders when he gets back to the house, kill that fatted calf that we've been preparing for a special occasion because this is the special occasion. My son is back home. And Jesus tells about the older brother who's pretty grumpy about this whole deal. I don't see why you are giving him a second chance. I've been here the whole time, I've been working hard, Why are you giving that son of yours, not my brother, that son of yours, a second chance? I'm not going to claim to you that when you give somebody a second chance is easy to figure out. There is no one rule that governs that. God has forgiven you. You must forgive but you have duties of other kinds too. You have to protect innocent people and you have to protect yourself. But I will say this about second chances. What needs to come first in your consideration is the person 
and not the rules. Because that seems to be what comes first with Jesus while he's living on the earth. And that seems to reflect what God is concerned about. When I can't even see the person because I'm so worried about other people seeing me possibly violate the rules, something has gone wrong. Our Lord believed in second chances. Our God is the God of second chances. And with prayer and with seeking the will of God, oftentimes we realize giving somebody a second chance is exactly what needs to happen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you have given us second chances. We are and third chances and fourth chances so many times. And we are grateful that your grace just keeps pouring out to us even when we are quite unworthy of it. And God, help us, help us to open our hearts to grow like that, to grow in that direction. God, help us to, to be bigger like you are big in our love. Help our love to grow up, to be mature, to be perfect as you are perfect. And God, give us wisdom and intelligence to figure out the times when we are going to be able to extend second chances to the people around us. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, church, it's great to be here. And at this time, I just want to say, you may have a need in your own spiritual life and your relationship to God. And it may be one that you just need to deal with right there sitting where you are, and that's fine. Do that. Don't put it off. Don't say next week. It may be that you have a need, that you need help from the church, or you need to say something about it to the church and solicit prayers from us. Again, don't put it off. Don't wait till next week. In just a minute, we're going to sing, and you can come forward and tell us what we can do for you. And it may be that... Today is the day that you say, I want to have my sins washed away, the way Sam and Samuel did a few weeks ago. Today, I want to be adopted into God's family. I want to take the name of Jesus Christ by being baptized and, by begin, and to begin the new walk. If you need to make any of those choices, we invite you to do that as we stand and are led in song.